This is the Journey 66 Book Writing Podcast. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are your road trip advisors. You may be at mile marker one and just thinking about an idea for a book, or maybe you've gone off-road in your writing and you want to restart the journey. Join Dave and me as we help you buckle up and write. There may be at least three main reasons why writers will self-publish their book. One, the book idea itself is not fresh enough or unique enough for a traditional publisher. Two, the writer has no platform or social media following, which a traditional publisher also looks for. Or three, the potential audience is so small that no publisher could ever justify investing in the work to publish the book. Today, we want to talk primarily about the second reason. We like to say that there are two mountains to climb when writing a book. The first is writing a great book. That's a high mountain, no doubt. The journey is arduous. It's one long slog from first sentence to final period. But a second mountain lies beyond the first, and that is promoting your book. In 2012, Michael Hyatt published a book called Platform, Get Noticed in a Noisy World. The underlying idea of the book was that mass marketing is dead, and there are no more or only a few places to sell your book or product. Amazon disrupted the old world publishing industry. Today, it's tough to sell your book because the audiences are nowhere and everywhere. There's no single place where you can sell your book to a rapt audience. The people who are able to sell their books or products are those who have created what Michael Hyatt called a platform. It's the idea of creating your own community of people to whom you sell your book. In this episode, we want to discuss the three main phases of promoting your book. This is an overview only and by no means comprehensive, but we wanted to kickstart the thinking of those who are either considering writing a book or are early in their journey. Dave, you've written and promoted two books, one with a traditional publisher, Harper One, and another with our imprint, Big Snowy Media. What difference is there between promoting a book when you have a traditional publisher versus when you self-publish? I would say there's absolutely no difference. So absolutely no difference. I'll tell you a quick story. When I published with a traditional publisher and I signed with them and went through the writing phase and development developmental editing phase and right near the time that I submitted the final manuscript there's this gap between the time you do that and the time the book actually gets released and in that interim time they're working on a publicity plan so I'm working with their top people on publicity and I kept asking for the plan and I wasn't getting a plan. So were they coming up with the ideas or were you coming up with the ideas at so that point? That's a great point. That, that is the essence of the problem. What, what happened was is that there was no plan and, and so they cast out a general, hey, we're gonna do a seven city book tour. And in fact, I saw that on the pre-publicity materials that they were sending out to the wider audience. They were gonna do something, and they were even gonna pitch the New Yorker, I think, on the idea, if I remember correct, on maybe an interview with the New Yorker, which would not have been a good fit. But, so they had these general ideas. So I kept pushing them, pushing them, pushing them, pushing them. 
Come to find out they had no plan and they had no idea what they were going to do for a seven city book tour. A book tour feels very kind of old school in a way. And this was really before the revolution of social media, right? It was right as the social media revolution was hitting. In fact, we built a significant group uh, on Facebook. Actually, that was not that was right before the time we did that with this other social media site that we developed for nurses. Remember that? Oh, Reality, right. Reality RN. RN. It was yep. right during that same time. It was just emerging. So like Facebook groups were a new thing. I remember us developing a Facebook group for new nurses and that seemed cutting edge. Yes. And, and that's exactly right. I didn't use social media as much as I wish I would have back then because it was so new, but I was blogging regularly and I had, I was developing a large email list. Was the internal promotion group at Harper One, were they asking you to blog regularly or was no, that even something no, no, that no, no, they no. thought you should do? No, not at all. There, there was no conversation about that. So let me tell you the end of the story of the Seven City Book Tour. So I, I actually flew out to their headquarters to talk with their publicity and what we finally came up with was a one city book tour. I Over. ended up going to Denver and, and, and I ended up locking in the speaking engagement. And when we got closer, I realized we had not even engaged the Tattered Cover Bookstore, which is a huge independent bookstore in Denver. Nobody ever even talked to them from our team. Holy cow. So my point is not to denigrate the publisher at all, but just to say, Every author has the same problem, whether they publish with a traditional publisher or whether they self-publish, and that is, how do I promote my book and to whom do I promote my book? So Dave, we talk with our authors about the three phases of promoting a book. Can you tell us about the first? I think the first begins the moment you consider writing a book. So if you are considering writing a book, you should start thinking about how to promote the book right now. That's so counterintuitive because you have so much going on with thinking about the book idea, you're nervous, you wonder if you should write a book, you have all this stuff going on, but the moment you start to think about writing a book is the time you need to start uh, evaluating how you're going to promote the book. So you start now. So can you give an example of what you should be thinking about during this phase? So the first thing is you need to be publishing regularly, systematically, and not every time you feel like it. So I think that's weekly. I think if you're going to write a book to build a following today, whether you're doing it through social media, which is you have to do it through social media, but also through building your email list, and I'll talk about that in a second, uh, you need to start with publishing regularly. And that might be through a blog, it might be writing, it might be through a podcast, you might be doing a podcast, or it might be something else. Maybe it's video, but you need to be doing something and publishing regularly with the ideas that you're using to create the book. So you said you write a blog, for instance, to build a list or to build an audience. Can you talk a little bit more about how the two go hand in hand? So if you are a writer and you have no platform, as Michael Hyatt called it. So that means, let's say you are, you're a consultant and you have clients, but you don't have a big email list, right? You maybe have 50 people on the list. So you want, you want to write a book for your audience, let's say, or you're in financial services and you think you have a crazy idea that could be fun. So you look at your 
platform and your platform really consists of the connections you have uh, in any media that you might have you look at uh, your client list, your prospect list, and usually that's very small. So the single thing you need to do is to build your email list. Now you and I started CZ Strategy 20 years ago. I started it and then you came to work about a year later after I started it and we were 100% digital agency back then. This is the other company that uh, that I own and run and Melissa works on that as well. And and it was email. Email was the big thing. Moving content from online to, uh, excuse me, from offline to, to online and then building your email list. Well, that is still critically important. And so uh, Amy Porterfield has this great podcast. I think it's called Marketing Made Easy. And one of the courses that she promotes is having to as how to build your email list. Your email list becomes your asset when somebody opts in and subscribes to you. And so there's all these ways to build your email list, but one of the basic things is that you have to publish fresh content systematically, regularly, and not any time that you think about it. So as you think about writing a book, start publishing regularly. And if you can't do that, it'll be very, very difficult for you to build your opt-in list. So we're starting this podcast for Journey 66, and our goal is to do it regularly, else we're never going to have any sort of following. That's right. We have to do that. And so uh, I did a podcast, a fly fishing podcast, uh, which became one of the largest podcasts in the fly fishing industry, which is not saying much because it's a, it's a niche uh, fly fishing is a niche of a niche. It's like a tenth of the size <laughs> of, the, of, the, of the fishing industry. But uh, I think we had, what, 10,000 subscribers when we stopped publishing every week. Now, we still publish today, and we have maybe six or 7,000 because it dropped. The moment you, start, you stop doing weekly, you, you'll start to drop in your subscribers. It's that consistent that voice and with us at Journey 66 we're publishing bi-monthly so that's two times a month and so or really every other week and and so it's that consistency that creates an audience and then you have to figure out how to give away downloadables different things we don't want to go into that right now but you have to begin to collect data Can, let's talk about consistency and how it actually creates an audience is it because if you're inconsistent then people We'll stop looking for you. How, how does that work? It's odd. It really is odd. We When we hit 10,000 subscribers with Two Guys in a River, which was my fly fishing podcast, we had been doing it for five years. And it wasn't until about year, between year four and year five that we finally hit that, you know, the inflection point of the curve and hit 10,000. And we, we were just exhausted because this is a part-time thing, right? I mean, this is a, this is a classic side hustle. And... But once we stopped doing weekly, it was amazing. The, the subscribers fell off like by half. And then we, we decided to come back and we said, hey, we'll do it. We'll publish three or four episodes every time we feel like it. So we did that for a little bit. That was like the worst decision ever. So you're going more regularly again? Once the pandemic hit, we said, you know what? Just for our own sanity, Let's publish every week again. And oh my gosh, it's it's now back up to over 6,000. It had been down to 3,000 at one point. That's crazy. I think it has to do with when you're creating new content, suddenly there's something for other people to talk about, to pass on to other people, right? So if you're not creating content, new content, there's nothing new to fresh 
to pass on. That's exactly right. And I do think there's something about expectation. If they like you, they want to hear from you. Absolutely. That's a great point. So whether it's blogging, writing, whether it's podcasting, your ideas have to be in the world on a regular basis before, 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 before you publish that book. And it's also just a great way for you to also begin to flesh out some of your ideas that possibly you're struggling with in the writing of your book. Oh, that's so true. That is so true. You'll, your thinking will develop. Absolutely. I want to go back to the list growing, list making, growing your audience. Some people think that you can just spam your LinkedIn connections. Is that a good way to create a list? <laughs> we actually just had a conversation recently with a client, which we've had for a long time. And in the conference call, uh, one of the uh, senior people says, well, Dave, why don't you just why don't you get some lists that we can send out these webinars to? I'm like, say what? It's 2020. And, and people still think you can spam people and with a product without having any relationship with them. So, it's crazy to me. So going back to LinkedIn, lots of people think that this is a strategy, but if you don't have a relationship or connection with them, you can't send out a mass email via LinkedIn, say, come read my blog. Right, there, there's just, <laughs> That you'll get what is it? it'll be less than a half of one percent that will actually click on the link it's you're it's called interruption marketing and For you simply can't do it. you have to build an audience one by one Melissa you know this better than I do even having built a very very large Instagram following from zero to what over 20,000 yeah. followers today that didn't happen by spamming people Right. It's what we call inbound marketing. It's called inbound marketing. That's what you have to do if you're going to build a platform. So back to the, the first phase. The first phase really starts when you lay down that first sentence and it continues actually through the second and third phase, but it certainly goes until you actually uh, enter that second phase. You have to continually write regularly, publish regularly, collect data, and b continually build your following. So you didn't publish your fly fishing book, the Fly Fisher's Book of Lists, until you had reached a critical mass of followers. Isn't that right? I think we had four or 5,000 at that point, and then we decided to publish the book. And it's so crazy because three years later, we published it in 2017. Three years later, this last month, I think we had one of our best months in terms of book sales outside of those first three or four months. That's interesting. Why do you think that is? I'm curious. I'm telling you why it is. Because we decided, we had not done this. We had, we had done nothing on the book in the podcast. So we decided, it, the, the name of the book is The Fly Fisher's Book of Lists. Life is short, catch more fish. And it's just a book of lists. And it's for the new fly fisher. If you want to fly fish, there's so many hacks and things you need to know that nobody tells you. So it's a book of these lists. So it's called The Fly Fisher's Book of Lists. So we actually did an episode uh, six lists from our book and so we discussed these six lists and that triggered a bunch of people buying the book so that probably would fit under phase three which we'll get to later yes so let's get right. to phase two of promotion so if, if phase one starts when you uh, first start writing the book and really does continue into the future 
The second phase has a very clear beginning, and that's right before your book is released. There is a window from the time that your book is released until about three months later that is the time in which your book is new news. It's news because it's new. And that's all you have is that phase. So it's during that time that sometimes book uh, writers will hire a firm to do PR for them. Uh, in the old days, we had magazines. There's just hardly any magazines. Today, PR is done through podcasts, trying to get on other podcasts, uh, writing for online publications, um, doing press releases. But during that window of time is your intense PR time. And why does it end? It ends because at the end of roughly about six to eight, six weeks to three months, your book is not new anymore. Right. And especially if you're with a traditional publisher, because let's say a publisher comes out with new releases four times a year. Let's say winter, spring, summer, fall. Let's say your book comes out in the winter. Three months later, this, when the spring releases come out, they forget about you. Wow, you are water under the bridge. <laughs> you are water under the bridge. What was your name again? Did you actually publish with us, Dave? I can't remember your name. I mean, it's like that. Wow. And so, and so you have this short window of time. So my recommendation to you is to prepare for that. And if you've invested in writing the book, you should invest in some PR and figure out either to do it yourself or outsource it to another group. I have a question about PR. Do people really pay attention to press releases on their own? No, they don't. And that's why if you do a press release, you also have to do what's called media relations, which is if you don't have connections, and often PR, uh, the reason PR firms have, you know, get paid big bucks is because they have connections with the media. Uh, Melissa and I have worked in the financial services on our other company, and there are companies that you know, have connections to NBC and CNN and Fox News Business. And so if you are a firm that has those kind of connections, you have a natural in, you have the natural built-in channel to these, to these media empires. And so, um, so you have to, it's not, if you send out a press release, it goes into a black hole. Right. But say you use that press release and you send it to specific people on that list you've been creating, maybe people with a platform larger than yours, but a similar tribe or audience, that would be applicable, wouldn't it? Absolutely, and that press release is, is a good piece to your media kit that you give to a podcast, right? If you're trying to pitch a podcast, you do the press release, you give them a copy of the book, you give something about the bio of who you are and why your topic is actually relevant to their audience. So, and even some talking points. So you can absolutely. say, here's an interview idea. I would love to talk on this topic. That's a great idea. Give them the hook for the, because a lot of these podcasts are looking for fresh content and they're looking for great ideas. I don't think they're just looking to fill slots. That's not true. <laughs> but they are looking for fresh, fresh, uh, uh, fresh angles. And so if you have that and you can come up with that, you'll have an audience. We were working with one of our authors on getting her featured on some podcasts, and I helped manage some of the uh, media relations, and I gave her basically the entire outline of how I thought the podcast could go, and, she, and I highlighted pages from the books that she could ask questions from, and she responded to me, this was the most prepared I've ever been for an interview with an author. Thank you so much. 
So the easier you can make it for a podcast host, the better chance you will have of getting on that show. That is a that insight is gold. That is so true. Because what you're doing is you're enabling, enabling them to have a great podcast with li- as little work as possible. Absolutely. And who doesn't want less work? <laughs> who doesn't want less work? So I, I think the just the period at the end of this second phase is it's an intense phase and you ought to consider investing in it and let's just tell the story we had a client that had a traditional publisher we pitched the publisher and they took the book and he had a platform was a consultant he hired uh, a different firm just to do the media they had some connections in the industry he got into the financial times and as a result of that uh, somebody had read it from a large multinational corporation and he ended up being on their board as a result of it. Now, he had to get vetted and there was a long vetting process, but they're reading that review of his book in that publication was the first step towards getting on the board of that company. It, it's a great story. It's almost too good to be true, but it, it absolutely started with, with that. And by the way, magazines and newspapers typically don't do book reviews. They'll do an interview with you or they'll, they'll take off, they'll, they'll use your topic to write on a subject and then use you as quotes. But they typically don't do what are called book reviews. Traditionally, book reviews are, are really dead for the most part. So what we've been getting at is that each phase is really intense and demands a lot of work in some fashion. I remember you talking about how you did a lot of the work in all three of these phases and specifically developing a relationship with a manager at Barnes and Noble. Yes. And in fact, during this first phase and it actually, first phase or second phase, excuse me, in the second phase, and it actually extended into the third phase. Locally, there was a Barnes and Noble store. And so when death by suburb came out, uh, I went to the manager and said, hey, this new release just came out. I don't even know if they had a copy in the, in the bookstore. And he goes, oh, okay, well, let, let's, um, let's do, uh, let's do a, a book signing, and, and you can talk. So this little Barnes & Noble store, I had two or three book signings. There were not a ton of people that came to those book signings. There never are. It's not like, it's not like a, a Trump rally, right? But I ended up, that little book store sold more like 200 or 250 copies of my book, Death by Suburb. I love it when I go to a thrift store in the area and I find Dave Getz's Death by Suburbs. <laughs> made That's his a way rarity from, now. <laughs> made his way from Barnes & Noble to a thrift store after it was written. <laughs> Some people always will ask me about the book and I'm like, man, I don't even remember writing that book. It's been... Been a, it's been a few years since I right. wrote it. <laughs> You're in a different decade. Yeah, a different decade. That's right. <laughs> so let's talk about the third phase, the final phase, and maybe the longest phase. I would call this the long slog phase. So the first phase, you're building your platform. And whether you have a platform already, you're still building it, right? You're collecting email addresses. You're publishing regularly. Uh, you're building relationships. You have that second phase, which is a short phase. It has a beginning, middle, and an end. It does not continue on. Once that book is released, you have roughly three months, and then it becomes old news. And so you need an intense effort during that second phase. Phase three, it, it's, it's the next 18 months to three years. It's the phase I'm in right now with the Fly Fisher's Book of Lists. 
And so it's coming up with creative ways to get on the radar of people so that you can promote the book. So one idea would be bulk distribution. And we had a, uh, a client that had a book for, uh, it was a, basically a book of career tips. And she was a consultant, worked with Fortune 500 companies. And so when she would go in and do speaking engagements or co coaching engagements, she would make as a requirement or at least pitch uh, the human resource department on purchasing 100 books or 25 books. Speakers can do this as well. So the long slog is really for many consultants, many coaches, uh, those who don't really have a platform and are wanting to build a platform, it's through speaking and finding places to speak. And let me just encourage you, don't look down your nose at the small places. Ooh, that's good because... Because your job in this phase is to create and start a bunch of small prairie fires. You don't care how big the prairie fire is. You just want to light a fire. I grew up in the North Dakota Plains and prairie fires there can be small but they even though it's a flat plane but they can be very dangerous and they can get big really really fast i think that if there's a metaphor for that third phase it's starting small prairie fires so don't look down your nose when you go to engagement there's five people that showed up i remember that happened with this other project that we did um native tongue which is actually the third book uh that i actually have created that was a few years ago and I remember you and I did that speaking engagement at that one uh, bank. Park? Yes, 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 yes. Yep. And there was what, eight people there? Right, but it led to a client. It led to a client, right? So especially if you're writing a book, not to sell books, which most people should not, it should be for influence and it should be for, if you're a coach or a consultant, it should be building your practice and credibility. You don't know where those small little engagements lead. So, so don't look down your nose at those. Do them, do them with excellence, and you never know where they may lead. And I would also reiterate, you don't stop blogging, podcasting, vlogging, posting on social media just because your book is no longer news. This is something that you should sustain through that third phase and beyond, especially if you want to write a second book. Oh, that, okay, so that is probably the biggest point. My guess is if you're writing a first book, this first book you have no platform. You just want to make sure that when you write the second book, you have a platform. So this idea of collecting data, collecting email addresses, build your social media following. If you ever want to write a second book, all of a sudden you already have that in place. So definitely during that third phase, if you're going and speaking someplace, figure out a way, give a bunch of free books away, do something that you can collect data, their email addresses, their addresses. You want to collect data. If there's one thing I want to state and restate and restate is that if you want to write continuously after this first book, then make sure you continue to collect data from the moment you start writing that book. I think in this third phase, you can also use social media in a creative way to do campaigns, ongoing campaigns to create energy around it. Maybe it's around an idea in the book and get people talking about it. And maybe there's a giveaway of some sort. But the key is use social media, not just to post your ideas, but to also create some campaigns around your book so you can sell more books and also get your, your name spread. What is your theory on social media, a third, a third, a third? Talk a little bit about this, because this has some uh, application to book promotion. 
So there is a content strategy with social media called the rule of thirds, which is basically just some guidelines to help you decide how much to share personally and how much to promote your own work. And the idea is, is that you only use social media a third of the time to promote your work, a third of the time you use it to engage your followers or, or prospects, people who aren't following you but might find you via hashtags or shares. And then you share. You share other people's great ideas and you share other people who have influenced you or who might um, connect with your tribe. But the whole point is, is that Yes, you can use social media to promote, as long as you use it in a way that doesn't harm your relationship with your followers. You're not always selling to them. And the worst time to start posting on social media is when you have a book to sell. Absolutely. I have a friend who is in the interior design business. He's actually pretty well known. And his book is coming out um, in September on Amazon. And starting in June, he reached out to me and asked if I would promote his book on stories and put a link to the pre-order page. So the point is, is if you have connections, you can also harness those connections to promote the book for you. That's why it's so important to begin that phase one as you begin to write your book start developing relationships because those are what's going to become important down the road as you promote the book ongoing. At CZ, my other business, our other business that we work on, I have a board member and we went out for a walk the other day and I was talking to her about our podcast, about Journey 66, our editorial and publishing company that we've started. And and she said something and at first I thought, Meh, what does she know? And she's just brilliant. But she said, you know, Dave, the way the thing is going to grow is through relationships. Absolutely. And I thought, she's so right. Even though it's primarily sold digitally, we have the podcast, we have the online course, we do all these things, we have the coaching, and it, a lot of it is digital, but it is still through relationships. So just think, Melissa, that person who contacted you about promoting his book to your list he had a prior relationship with you. There was that amount of trust that enabled you to say yes or that gave, well, it gave him the sense that it was okay to ask. Absolutely. So if you had no relationship with him and there was a book on vintage yeah. that came out and somebody said, hey, would you promote this? You got a large Instagram following. Melissa, could you promote to the, could you promote my book to your list? What would you say? Absolutely no. And that happens a lot. I get lots of people saying, would you try out this product? Would you read this book and promote it? And unless I have a relationship with you, I typically turn down those asks just because I want it to be authentic and I think that my followers sense when the referral or the praise is authentic. We do that also with uh, Two Guys in a River, the podcast. We get asked all the time to schlep products, right? No, because that would violate the trust. We just won't do it. There's no relationship there and it's not something we believe in. So relationships are truly the most important thing that you can begin to nurture as you are writing the book. Right. Even at our early stages in this podcast, I asked a friend to listen to it and because she's interested in writing a book. And if she gets something from it and thinks that it's quality content, she may pass it on to somebody else. And that's how it works. That is how it works. It's always about the referral. Yep. I think that that's a wrap, Dave. I am excited to hear if anybody takes any of our advice and how it goes for them. How about you? I would love to hear from you. And if there's anything we can do, just email us, Dave and Melissa, at journey66.com. I'm Melissa Parks. And I'm Dave Getz. Now buckle up and write.